Good morning, Twitter. It's Monday and we have a great show for you. We'll be talking about Trump's visit to the UK, then I'm sitting down with cast members of The Handmaid's Tale, and then Zach is sitting down with cast members from Tales of the City. Uh, so fun, so fun. Well, you stick right there and we'll see you on the timeline. Good morning, Twitter. I'm Zach Stafford, she's Alex Berg, and you are watching AM to DM. Hello and happy Monday. Happy first Monday. Happy first Monday. Because as people may not know, because I know this because it's my life, is that last week we began on a Tuesday. We did. So it's our first day learning what it's like to be on a Monday, which is uh, a challenge. It is. And we're doing, we're doing well with this, but yeah. it's just waking up from a Sunday to a Monday is quite tough. It's true. I have to say for me, I w like was starting to get into the schedule yeah. of waking up super early yes. last week, starting to go to bed super early, and then I get a little bit more flexible, mm -hmm. maybe a little lax, dare I say, mm -hmm. on the weekend. So then getting to Sunday night, I'm like, I can't go to sleep. Yeah. Like, I, I'm not ready for this. Yeah, you're like, this, so, is not, this is not the time. I need more time to yeah, rest. Precisely. It's so funny. I woke up on Saturday at 7 a.m. And I was like, oh my God, this is so late. And I'm like, who am I that 7 a.m. is late it's now? Late. I know. So I blame my boss, our boss. Our boss. For this, changing our lives. Yeah. <laughs> but isn't it the best feeling when you wake up on a Saturday morning and you can go and be super productive? Yes. And it's Especially like, because Saturday, this Saturday was the beginning of Pride. Oh, so I, yeah. I began Pride well rested and moisturized and hydrated. So Perfect. Great. We'll see uh, if we all end Pride that way. My We're not. Yes, it's, it's going not, to be the not opposite. Gonna be, not going to be that be good. Crawling across the side. <laughs> <God>. Anyway. <laughs> well, this weekend, the new film Always Be My Maybe dropped, and we realized that Keanu Reeves is quite beloved on the internet. Foxy Brown tweeted, shout out to Ali Wong for writing herself as the love interest for Daniel Day Kim, Keanu Reeves, and Randall Park. And Danielle tweeted, motion for Keanu Reeves to just appear briefly as Keanu Reeves in every movie. I second that motion. I had no <laughs> idea you girls love Keanu so much. Yes. It's literally <laughs> why I watched this Cheers. show. Because last week I saw the buildup through his GQ profile, I think, and everyone was like thirsting over yes. this man. Yeah. And I watched the film and I was like, he's cute, but like, I've never had a wet dream about this man. I've never thought about him in this way. <laughs> like when I watch Matrix, I was interested in the slow-mo, but not the like not sex appeal of him. But you're a fan. I am a fan. I've been a long time Keanu Reeves devotee. Oh, wow. um, I did not just come to this fandom or thirstiness this past weekend. So here I am staking my claim to the man from decades ago. And yeah, I mean, I think that Keanu Reeves has had it going on for a minute. And yes. I'm just happy there's a new generation who are seeing this movie yes. and learning yeah. about him. And I think for me, you know, I've seen Keanu's work before. Matrix, big fan of. Uh, he's very fun in this film, which usually is this very serious, lonely, depressed person. I think we've called him like a goth icon in many yeah. ways. But in this film, he is like in on the joke and he gets punched at one point. Um, he is just kind of the epitome of like bad tech bro. Mm. Um, and it's fun. But what annoyed me the most is he wears glasses with no lenses. I, I don't care. I, I, saw, don't. I saw the scenes with the no. glasses and I was like looking pretty good. Like you do you, Keanu. But to your point about how he was that goth icon, mm -hmm. an emo icon, I think that's Part of the appeal is yeah. thinking of poor lonely Keanu sitting on that park bench in that meme a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. I think eating a sandwich yes, or something. And you just, you feel for the man. And you were telling me that he had some quotes this morning yes. as well that yes. really tapped yeah, into Yeah, he did an interview where he mentioned, you know, he is a lonely guy. He's looking for love. So, Alex... I know your partner's equally as, as obsessed with Keanu. Yes. But um, yes, you can is. have a chance if you yeah. like. Well, it's funny. You mentioned her. I, I came home on Sunday night and she was watching The Matrix. Just, like <laughs> really for no Sunday reason night. at all. And I was like, why are you watching The Matrix? And she was like, 
I don't know. And I was like, you're watching it because you two are thirsty for God. Can so, movies are I know. Nice on the charts. Yeah. Yeah. But you watched the movie. Yes. What did you think of it otherwise? It was amazing. Like, I think what, what I'm loving is this resurgence, or not resurgence, but delivery of mm. Asian folks being centered in, in stories like this, being treated equally across the romantic comedy space. Mm-hmm. We have Crazy Rich Asians, now we have this. Mm-hmm. Um, it just shows that, like, as POCs, people of color, we can play any role and our stories can be really accessible no matter if you are not one that's an immigrant family in San Francisco. So I'm a, mm. I was really happy yeah. with it. Yeah, so awesome to see this movie yes. get the attention it deserves. But uh, let's take it to the timeline. Are you thirsty for Keanu Reeves? And if not, what celebrity would you like to have a thirst trap <laughs> renaissance? Tweet us using the hashtag AM to DM. Pro- thirst trap renaissance. A renaissance. A renaissance. Yes. Oh, Who is, well, uh, yeah. Who's for me, person? I was just jumping in here. Uh, Renee Zellweger is having quite a renaissance. Huh? I think she, hers is beginning. It's bubbling. So she has a new Judy Garland film coming out yeah. later this year. She is in What If, which I have not seen, but she looks sickening, <laughs> amazing. Um, she did an interview with us at The Advocate the other day, and it was amazing. Mm-hmm. So I'm really happy for her. What about you? I am satisfied with this Keanu Reeves <laughs> renaissance. And I have to tell you, I will go certainly check out all of Renelle Zellweger's work. I've been, too been a fan of hers since yes. Chicago, Chicago and before that. So, you know, I'm here, I'm here for them coming yeah. back. I love it. Yeah. Well, all you renaissance come to the show, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, switching gears to, uh, uh, switching gears this morning from an already beloved rom-com to a reality show called Our Life, President Trump touched down this morning in United Kingdom. And he's already picking a fight. The president tweeted, Sadiq Khan, who by all accounts has done a terrible job as mayor of London, has been foolishly nasty to the visiting president of the United States, by far the most important ally of the United Kingdom. He is a stone-cold loser who should focus on crime and London, not me. Elected officials immediately rushed to Khan's defense and are using the moment to galvanize people to protest tomorrow. Labor Party leader Jeremy Corbyn tweeted, Tomorrow's protest against Donald Trump's state visit is an opportunity to stand in solidarity with those he's attacked in America, around the world, and in our own country, including just this morning, Sadiq Khan. Mm. Joining us to unpack this visit and what is on the horizon for Mr. Trump is BuzzFeed political reporter Hannah Al Othman. Good morning, Hannah. Hi. So what prompted this visit to the UK and what is the president hoping to accomplish while there? Well, this is his, he visited last year, but this is his, um, this is his first state visit. So, um, you know, he's doing, he's um, being hosted by the Queen tonight for a state banquet at Buckingham Palace. Um, so it's, it's quite a big deal. And then the, it's basically, you know, it's a relationship building exercise. There'll be some really important government ministers there tonight. There's um, talks with business leaders tomorrow. So it's kind of, it's, it's building relations between um, the, the UK and the US. We talked a little bit about some of the back and forth between Trump and the mayor of London, but this is not the first time they've gone back and forth. What is the history between these two men? Yeah, they've, um, they've had some spats on Twitter before. So um, Sadiq Khan, he criticized Donald Trump, I think it was back in 2016 over the Muslim ban. And then um, this time last year, there was a, a terror attack in London and, and Trump um, sort of, he was critical of Sadiq Khan over that. Um, um, Sadiq put out a message saying, um, you know, basically Londoners shouldn't be afraid. And um, I think Donald Trump said it was a pathetic excuse. So they've gone back and forth on Twitter before. Um, And I think 
basically most recently um Sadiq said that Donald um, Trump's visit shouldn't be happening that he shouldn't be welcomed here and that's what's prompted um, Trump's comments and then in response to his tweet this morning you know Sadiq has kind of doubled down on what he said and has reiterated um his criticism of the visit Mm-hmm. And with this visit, you know, there's not only outrage from people like Sadiq, but also the general public. Could you tell us about the protests that are currently scheduled and what we can expect tomorrow? Yeah, so there's going to be a protest tonight. So there's, um, as Trump goes in for the, the dinner at Buckingham Palace, the, the, there's going to be groups of protesters giving him a welcome, as they call it. Um, so you can expect, you know, noise and placards. And we don't know quite what the numbers are going to be. So there's another protest tomorrow as well. And that's the main one all across central London. Um, now, last year, there was, they estimated up to a quarter of a million people protested in London and Trump wasn't actually in London. Um, but I've been speaking to some of the organisers and they're, they're not sure if they're going to draw the same numbers because last time it was the first visit. It was on a Friday, so it's easier for people to take time off. Um, obviously, tomorrow's a Tuesday. Um, and also, you know, we've got so much going on with our domestic policies, uh, politics here that people are maybe not paying as much attention to Trump as, as they maybe were this time last year. Well, speaking of your domestic politics, there are some reports that Trump may meet uh, with Brexit leaders as well. Uh, what are you hearing about this meeting? Basically, I mean, he's he's meeting with government ministers who will be doing, you know, they will be um, the government's responsible for the direction that Brexit takes. So that's definitely happening. But also we have um, our prime minister standing down. We have a race to um, succeed her. And, you know, he's given his endorsement to Boris Johnson, who's one of the leading, or he is, he is the favourite to win. Um, and he's also said that the leader of the Brexit party, um, their new party led by Nigel Farage, he's as well said that, you know, he should be involved in the Brexit negotiations. So don't know if he's going to meet um, Boris Johnson or Nigel Farage. That's not, you know, officially part of the government timetable, but he certainly expressed his support for both of those men. Mm. And before the visit, there were calls for the Queen to not allow Trump to make a visit with her. What does this visit communicate to the world symbolically when they sit down for dinner tonight? I mean, symbolically, I guess it it um, reinforces the fact that the United States is a key ally of Great Britain. Um, state visits are, are, you know, lots of world leaders visit, but a state visit is quite a big deal where there's banquets and the royals are involved and things like that. So it signals that this is an important relationship. Mm. Well, Hannah, thank you so much for that background, and I'm sure we'll be speaking soon. So thank you for joining us today. Thanks. On Friday, 12 people were killed after a gunman opened fire at a government complex in Virginia Beach. 11 of them were co-workers. BuzzFeed News uh, tweeted, This man, the man who opened fire on his colleagues at a municipal building, had sent his resignation letter in that morning. Police say that they are still determining the motive of the shooting. Lindsay Layton tweeted, in January, the Virginia GOP killed a bill to ban sales of large-capacity magazines, magazines that the Washington Post's Robert McCartney writes were similar to those used by the Virginia Beach attacker. He joins us now. Good morning. Good morning. So we're talking about this bill because of the shooting, but why didn't it get any attention when it failed back in January? It basically didn't get any attention because every year in the Virginia General Assembly, Uh, The Democrats propose numerous gun control measures, and they've been doing this for years. And the Republicans 
who currently control, although very narrowly, both chambers of the legislature, they kill those bills, usually in committee. And this has been going on for more than 20 years. Uh, the, the Republicans have always controlled at least one chamber in the legislature, and they've used that power uh, to kill any gun control measures. Mm. And do you think that this latest shooting will change any of those conversations in the legislature? Well, I already, uh, Governor Ralph Northam, a Democrat, is saying just today uh, that he hopes that it will, that he's going to uh, try to push harder than he has for new gun control measures, possibly even using executive action and trying to use the attention, the public attention focused on this tragedy uh, to try to push through some new measures. I'm not sure which ones, I don't think he's said yet. Uh, Certainly one that they have been very focused on and the one that usually does get the attention uh, is our efforts to try to close what they call the gun show loophole and basically require everybody who buys uh, a weapon to go through a background check, even if they buy from a private seller at a gun show. Uh, You're mentioning getting into a little bit about some of the gun culture in Virginia. And uh, I read in your story that the NRA's headquarters are actually in Fairfax. So what is the role of guns, gun rights groups in the state? Yeah, there's a long history of support for gun rights in the state. As you mentioned, the NRA is headquartered in in Northern Virginia, in Fairfax. Uh, There's also a, a group Uh, the Citizens Defense League, which is even more hardline on gun rights than the NRA, which is also active in Virginia. You know, it's a a southern state. It it has conservative traditions in a lot of ways. Those are changing uh, in recent years, especially with the growth in population in northern Virginia, which is more liberal. But there's a lot of rural, a lot of rural voters And people care very much on both sides, care very much about the gun issue. So far, as I said in the last 20 years, the Republicans, the people and some rural Democrats who strongly support gun rights have had the upper hand. There are signs that that's changing, but it hasn't shifted enough. There'll be a big showdown on this in, in November of this year when the entire General Assembly is, all the seats are up for grabs, and this will certainly be one of the main issues that will be debated in those races. Mm. And you've mentioned it in the past, they've been talking about this before, and in 2007, uh, we saw the Virginia Tech shooting, which killed over 30 people, uh, and the election year was, there was an election the next year. What can we glean from that moment to understand what may happen next today? Well, if, if you go by what happened after the 2007 Virginia Tech shootings, Uh, nothing's going to happen because, at least on gun control, because after that, uh, the gun control advocates and other people concerned about what happened pushed very hard for measures both to strengthen restrictions on guns and to reform mental health practices in the state, to put more money into mental health issues, to make it harder for people with mental health issues to get guns to make it easier to diagnose people formally as having mental health uh, problems. And those got approved. All the mental health changes got approved. And the Republicans went along with that. But they did not go along with the measures to restrict guns. So basically, the deal there was 
no, no changes on guns, but yes, changes on mental health. If we go by, by what happened then in 2007, nothing's going to happen this time. Uh, but as I say, there, there are signs that the opinion has shifted some in Virginia, as in the rest of the country, and it's possible that this could lead to some changes. Well, it is certainly helpful to get some more context about what is happening in the state. Robert, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. And we are going to take a deep breath and cleanse the timeline. Whew, because up next, it is time for Fire Tweets. Fire! Fire! Welcome back. It is time for Fire Tweets, and we are making our way through this Monday, our very first Monday together. And I just wanted to mention one of the details when I was reading up on the stories that Mm -hmm. we covered this morning with Trump's visit to the UK Mm -hmm. was that people are going to be protesting the dinner tonight at Buckingham Palace by banging on pots and pans. It's amazing. It's like you just got to make your noise, I guess. I'm imagining like really beautiful (laughs) copper ones. Like very, very chic (laughs) moment out there. Yeah, it's kind of a lot to have to schlep with you though, you know? Yeah, this commitment to protest. It it is commitment. I love that, I love that. All right, let's get to these tweets. Here we go. Taylor, you tweeted, okay, I've officially decided to dye my hair blonde. Does anyone in the New York City area have suggestions for a good therapist? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) This one clearly got to something with you. Yes, I mean, I have so much hair that I change all the time. (laughs) But no, it's something I noticed as a very short-haired person that my friends, when they're going through something, they're always changing their hair color. And I always notice it with gay men as summer approaches. They get like blonde on top with their roots showing. And I'm like, oh, stressed out by that no-carb diet girl going through. (laughs) Making choices about your hair. I mean, this tweet really made me need to do some soul searching. You thought about your own hair. I dye my hair bright pink again. The problem when you have long hair is that it's like a commitment. So now I am forever trapped with this hairdo until I'm like, do I want to sit in the chair for another eight hours? And redo the whole thing. So, you know, I'm going through it. I want to sympathize, but I can't. It's okay. Sorry. (laughs) Anyway, we're going to our next tweet. Okay. Does any water taste like when you're crying and the tears get in your mouth? Is there salt in the sunny? Because your tears are salty, right? I mean, I don't even know what Dasani or any other kind of bottled water uh-huh. tastes like particularly. I have to tell you that I am a New York City tap water purist. Oh. New York has such good tap Every water. city says yeah. that. Every no, city says I'm that. telling you. I am telling you, New York I hear that. Some of the mini cities, everybody, I, okay. welcome to LA. We have the best water in the world. Okay. Really? Come on. All right. I'm from Philadelphia. Really not Okay. Delicious tap water there. So and that's not too far. You know, so you can tell. I, I okay, I believe you. You're a bottled water connoisseur. I do love bottled water. <laughs> I do love bottled water. I'm really there's like I even like canned water now. Pellegrino just launched the canned water that I could get to compete with Lacroix, which is amazing. But I do love. Um, I think the most beautiful bottles uh, are Voss bottles. They're the glass, they're cylinders. Oh, right. You know, they can also be a weapon if you need them. Well, or reusable. It's glass. Multifaceted. Yeah. Multifaceted. Yeah. Dan, you tweeted. The good thing about bees dying is that now heaven will be, just as I imagined it, swarming with bees. <laughs> I don't know how often people get stung by bees to be this frightened of them. Because it's happened to me once, and like, I don't. Wait, you have a... You <laughs> I've been stung multiple times by bees. It's because you're a flower. A, a beautiful flower. flower that needs to be fallen. Yeah, <laughs> that shit hurts. Let me tell you, I was stung by a bee like two years ago, and it like really made mm-hmm. my whole arm swell up. Oh, God. So, oh, but I'm so sorry. So don't bees. go to heaven. We need bees. We need bees to pollinate the food. We love you, bees. Okay, God. Well, going to our next tweet. Trouble, you tweet it. Damn. Rent is due, not mine, because I live with my mama, but yeah, y'all be easy. <laughs> 
I know what. I'm mad at this person because I got my email on Saturday because when I pay mine, they send you a note saying we stole all your money. Oh and it's gosh. always this moment where you're like drinking. You're like, I'm so sad. I want my money back. I just appreciate the petty on display yes. in this tweet. That's like, you know, you're all struggling to pay your rent, but I'm just going to watch Relaxing, you because- having a nice not, tea. Not Pro- my problem. Probably drinking a bottle of water. Oh. <laughs> all right, ready? <laughs> yep. Tweet of the day comes from Evan Greer. Brands during Pride Month, Exxon. No matter who you love, we'll make sure your children don't have a livable planet. Amazon. We treat all of our warehouse workers like dirt, regardless of their sexual orientation. Raytheon. Our Tomahawk missiles don't discriminate. That is so dark. That's so dark. It's so, <laughs> so dark and yet true. It's so it's true. It's so funny. Like every year I'm surprised more and more about like what brand will do what with the flag. And it's like this year I'm seeing mouthwash as a hot thing. And I'm like, Yes, we did throw a brick at Stonewall so you could make my mouth gay, which I guess does work <laughs> on like a level. You're like, wait a second. But it's like, mm, maybe we did. Yeah. Like, it's a thing. But it's kind of this thing every year where you're like, it's a guessing game. Like, who's going to make the thing gay? But, but a missile would not be surprised. <clears throat> yeah, I know. And I'm also just like, you know, do I really need my like rainbow boat shoe situation? <laughs> Who actually benefits from this? Yes. It just makes you start to think about Like, how. are you actually giving money to queer organizations? Precisely. And most you know, of the time not. So. Most of the time not. Most of the times we are just being commodified. Yes. Like everything else. Exactly. But so. the one I do love and I must shout out is Nickelodeon. Yeah. You know, Nick changed their logo for the month to be a rainbow and that will be seen by millions and millions and millions yeah. of kids and their families. And that to me is a great intervention right there. That That's is cool. amazing. That That's is cool. Really great. So yeah. anyway, coming up, I'll be sitting down with the cast of Tales of the City. But up next, we're talking about the death of iTunes. Bye, iTunes. See you later. Welcome back. We're taking a few minutes to chat about a story we didn't get to cover at the top of the show that's taking over our timelines. Dancing Astronaut tweeted, a part of our childhood is officially ending as Apple confirms that they're shutting down iTunes and replacing it with a brand new music app. And the Chicago Tribune tweeted, in the end, vinyl outlived iTunes. Shook! Wow. Vinyl! Vinyl was Who like sitting back like, <laughs> the classic never dies, girl. Yeah! <laughs> but they're yeah. not actually dying, right? They're just kind of yes. reimagining the platform. Yes. So uh, apparently Tim Cook will be announcing today that uh, as part of an effort for Apple to be seen more as an entertainment company rather than a company that makes hardware products, mm-hmm. they're going to be uh, breaking up iTunes into three different separate hmm. entity okay. store apps. And, and that's how it's going to work. And, you know, I have to say for the past couple of years, for me, iTunes hasn't been super intuitive mm-hmm. when I've used it. So, like, occasionally there'll be a song that I really want to buy, I want to constantly listen to, yeah. like, when I'm on the subway, and yeah. then I'll go there. But yeah. but yeah. it's kind of like if you have Spotify, you can stream everything right. for free or for a monthly price, and you can also download it on your phone. Right. So iTunes has, over the years, lost its kind of like it's pertinent in many ways. Yeah. Because before it was, you know, where you put your music and then it was the first time you could buy music. And then we all stopped buying music because we got naps. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, exactly. In 2001 is when iTunes came out. Mm-hmm. And at that time it was like, I remember, you know, putting CDs onto my computer yeah. and waiting for them to upload the music and having, having, you know, all those playlists. And then in 2003 was when you could buy music but uh, I believe during all of that time, I may have used a little program called LimeWire. Yes, LimeWire. Maybe a little Napster And I feel like there. what you chose was like a personality. I don't know what that <laughs> means, but I was also a LimeWire person, so maybe that's a queer thing. But the yeah. thing that people don't remember is that that took forever. You had so dial-up long. or broadband yeah. or whatever these things were called. It was not fast. It took an hour or two to get an album. And you better hope you downloaded the right album because people just made the names whatever they wanted and you could yeah. get screwed over. And that was it. You know, I feel like we're really having one of those like, well, in my day moments oh because we're it's like, well, in my my day, you couldn't just go to Pandora or Spotify and listen to whatever song you wanted to. You had to like sit and put yes. in 
do the work. work. You had to know the name of the band. You couldn't just like get on Spotify and they serve you content. Well, speaking of bands, were there any musicians that uh, looking back, you feel a little bit embarrassed of or like surprised that those were the things that (sighs) you I have no embarrassment. I love everything. No, I was looking this morning. I was looking this morning. I was getting ready for the show and I saw I had the entire L Word soundtrack. I don't know how this happened. I love the L Word. I'm looking forward to it coming back. But I didn't know I was that much of a diehard that I had the soundtracks on my phone. You don't know how it happened, but I'm so happy that it did happen. It's great. I I support you all showtime. Yes, exactly. (laughs) What about you? Well, I have to say, I I can't actually remember a lot of the music that I uh, downloaded from uh, LimeWire Mm -hmm. or iTunes and stuff, but I do remember touting my Free Willy cassette around Uh, the first grade class. That I am like a little bit embarrassed of. It's Michael Jackson. Like, cut me a break. It's cute. Don't don't be ashamed of the whale. Yeah, don't be ashamed of the whale. (laughs) So um, one thing too that you also mentioned is uh, this driving experience in LA when you plug your phone in. Yes. That the first song on your iTunes playlist is what, for, is what plays. Yeah, so for like, me, for years yeah. now, I've heard After the Storm by Mumford & Sons play on repeat every time I get in my car. Um, so now I have trauma around that. So if you play it in public, <laughs> I'm like, traffic, uh, it's tough. So it's, it's like, like as soon as you plug it in, it just starts playing. Yep, every time. So what do you do in like a full car? I, I don't, I act like they, it's not playing, not playing, so. All right. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, we've experienced the struggle, but we want to take it to the timeline. What's the most embarrassing music in your iTunes library? Tweet us using the hashtag am 2 the Couts soundtrack. <laughs> Truth. I got some Broadway on there. I ain't proud. I have such really <laughs> Well, all right. Yeah. <laughs> Coming up on the show, Alex sits down with the stars of The Handmaid's Tale. Then I'm talking to Ellen Page, Charlie Barnett, and Murray Bartlett about Tales of the City. Ooh, I cannot wait for that conversation. So excited. Yeah. We're going to look at her. This is The Sit Down, and I'm joined by the stars of The Handmaid's Tale, Amanda Bruegel and Madeline Brewer. Thank you so much for joining us. Joining Thank you. Me. You're welcome. Yeah. And making sense us, of this big orange couch, you know, <laughs> doing it all out here. Um, I want to start with this tweet from Vinnie Montoya. 2018, The Handmaid's Tale, dystopian fiction. 2019, The Handmaid's Tale, documentary. Yeah, it's a mood. So, uh, Amanda, starting with you, when this show first began, did you expect it to hold such a powerful cultural relevance? No, <laughs> not at all. No, I mean, I thought that uh, I thought that uh, we were going to have a very different president when the first show first started, and then it was about a month and a half in, and it changed narrative. Um, no, we couldn't possibly have imagined when we signed up that we would be. Uh, so much a part of everyday conversation because of how similar the show is to reality right now. Um, it's, uh, but I think that it's necessary for the show um, to keep pushing on the issues and keep as strong as the season is, especially the third season, um, just about fighting and resisting. I think it's really important because it gives an audience a chance to discuss it. It gives women mm-hmm. a chance to see how powerful they can be when they unify. So it's great for the show. I just don't know if it's great for life. The world. <laughs> yeah. How about you? Um, I mean, yeah, the same. We didn't, I didn't ever expect to be a part. I didn't ever expect for the show to have the influence and um, mm-hmm. to be so um, haunting. I mean, mm. it's like, it's become that the show is difficult to watch because of, of the, um, 
the parallels that a lot of people draw between the show and between our, you know, our everyday lives. Even we, were, Maddie and I were on set just last week and we were just sitting in the costumes talking about how weird it is to scroll through our Instagram, seeing people use our costumes as means of protest. Yes. We're in the costumes. Yes. Yeah. And at first they used to be costumes that were ours and it's just like it's your, but now it's like it's been taken by the world as sort of this one massive uniform um, to protest. And it's, that's, it's flattering, but it's also... It's, yeah, it's, it's haunting. haunting. It's not the what. It's not what I wanted. No, you know, I'm I'm glad that it's become a symbol and it's become a symbol of resistance because I think it is also a symbol uh, for women to say, you know, we will not go back and we're not going. This is not where we're, uh, not where we're going to head. We're, we refuse to let this happen and we're resisting it. And I I think that it's a powerful symbol and it's, you know, you see the handmaid's tale, you see the red, and you see the bonnet, and you immediately know what what they're saying. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm glad that it's become a symbol and, uh, but I didn't expect it. I didn't expect yeah, it. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, just in thinking about sitting there in, in your, you know, costumes, seeing those parallels, has working on the show impacted the way that you think about politics and activism yourselves? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Significantly. Uh, just in um, being given a platform and being now raised on a platform where people are are more willing to hear our voice, feeling a greater responsibility to uh, be active within my community, particularly within um, uh, my community when it comes to women of color. Mm. Um, uh, there's sort of a responsibility that's been thrust upon us, and I'm grateful for it because before I don't know necessarily if people would have tied my voice along with um, political activism. But now because of the show and my attachment to the show, it's given me um, just a little more power to be heard. I just have a, a bit of a louder, uh, larger platform and it's nice to use it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, everything that you said. Um, <laughs> but also, uh, if I can add anything to that, it is just that it's given me a much larger appreciation for women and being a woman, mm. I guess. And, and uh, recognizing that sisterhood has always been um, you know, I was definitely raised as like with a powerful f female figures in my life, and, but it, it's really given me an appreciation and respect for, uh, you know, all the women that have come before and the women that will come after. Mm. And um, yeah, I don't know how to end sentences. <laughs> It's I all just good. let them. I don't either. I'm just so riveted out. by everything you're saying. So I'm like, yes, please keep on talking yeah. to me more. Well, I do want to get it's a little better. bit into uh, more of this season. Um, I mean, I had read an interview where you said uh, you had a moment last season where you got one of the scripts and it really stopped you dead in your tracks. I think you may have been on vacation or something. Yeah. Um, have there been any moments where you have gotten the scripts or at table reads um, where you were really shocked by what was in the story, where there was something that surprised you or anybody else? Uh, this season, I would say more than ever this season, three times, where I thought that maybe I was sent a prank version or I was sent like a stunt version. Yeah, yeah. There were three times, specifically there was one in the middle and things changed. And I'm glad things changed because I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> out. Um, wait, wait, hold on. So who, who is sending you this prank script? Is it so that you don't No, we, okay. I get it. We get it from production. Okay, okay. Like it's a real script. It's a like real watermark. script. Okay, yeah. But then I thought, I thought maybe it was Lizzie being silly or prank because yeah. it was so, it was such a left. And this okay. show takes a lot of hard lefts. Yes. Um, but it was such a, it was so, so odd to me. So there was one. And then the finale for season, for this season, the finale is the is one. this one. It's, Insane. Yeah. Okay. Insane. I am like bracing myself because every single season and every single show, I'm like, it's finding a new way to 
escalate or like amp up even more. No, it's okay. it's intense. I feel like it's Game of Thrones like level territory. Really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Level like uh, suspense, I guess. Suspense yeah. and like the production Very. and like just yeah. This year there's dragons, so no, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> well, you know, your character Janine has some of the most uh, intense and affecting scenes um, in previous seasons. Um, I mean, what is it like for you to get some of these scripts and and read through some of those moments I mean, this year? Okay, Janine goes through it this year a little uh, bit. Janine has been going. I mean, not that she it. hasn't gone yeah. through it in past seasons, but she really goes through it this year. I didn't think they could make it worse, and then they just doubled down. Uh, so thanks, Bruce. Um, but. Uh, Yeah, and it's even more, um, just as like a viewer, because I do watch the show and I enjoy the show, um, but it's just heartbreaking what they do to that poor girl. I mean, and to all of them, everybody. Mm. But but yeah, Janine, especially for me, is is particularly heartbreaking. I'm, you know, I feel obviously very close to her, but, um, and this year they really just, they really lay it on thick. (laughs) okay. Well, uh, you know, I think one of the things that you're getting at is just uh, the intensity of this show and watching it. And earlier you mentioned that, you know, now it can be difficult for people to watch the show Mm -hmm. because of everything that's happening in the real world. And your character, Rita, has some really intense scenes with Elizabeth Moss. But then also, I've heard that she can be really fun to be with when you're working on set. So what is the dynamic like? Lizzie? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What is is the dynamic like um, on set? You know, what is the camaraderie like, especially when you're working on such tense uh, and intense scenes together it's, and then you step off. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. Like, we're all friends outside of the show. Mm-hmm. Maddie calls me mom. I do. Like, we, <laughs> yeah, and we've never been on set together until this season. Oh. But because we are, we do a lot of things together and because we have such respect for one another and each other's work, I think it's created this lovely bond outside. So that translates onto set. So uh, I still like to prank Elizabeth. It's my favorite thing to do. <laughs> yeah. It's my favorite. If I switch a line or I will do something once a take, I'll do something to see if she'll notice. And then she notices every time and tries to make her laugh. It's just that, we just try to, now we're so comfortable season three in, we just yeah. try to really mess with each other. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. At the end of the day, if just we like, can. spice it up. Spice it up. <laughs> <laughs> you got to find your moments of levity wherever yeah. you can. So thank you both so much for joining me. Thank you. It was delightful to talk to you. You're welcome. And you can catch the first two episodes of The Handmaid's Tale season three on June 5th. Up next, Zach is sitting down with the stars of Tales of the City, Ellen Page, Charlie Barnett, and Murray Bartlett. Charlie Barnett and Murray Bartlett. <laughs> Oh, hey there, Twitter. Welcome back. (laughs) This is The Sit Down, and we are here with actors Ellen Page, Charlie Barnett, and Murray Bartlett, stars of the new Netflix show, Tales of the City. Hi. Hi. How are y'all doing today? Good. How are you doing? I'm good. You know, this is what I was looking forward to on a Monday, was sitting with y'all. It was really tough getting out of bed today. I was like, they're coming. I watched the show this weekend. We're going to do this. So before you all were cast in the show, how familiar familiar were you with the, the series? I, I've, I've read I, the book series. Oh, yeah. I was not really familiar really? with the series. Yeah, what so was it like I learned to know? so much. Um, I'm, I'm really enjoyable, beautiful experience, and knowing how much it's meant to people and so many people in my life, mm-hmm. particularly people that are older and um, you know, like me. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, not that we still don't live in a time where it's absolutely crucial for people mm-hmm. and difficult for so many people in the community. But you know, I know, uh, you know, especially then for a lot of my friends, it meant so much. For sure. And Murray, you mentioned you were aware of it. How important was the series for you when it first debuted? 
it had a profound effect on me and people in my life. It was, you know, in in the 90s, I actually saw the show uh, in San Francisco the first time that I went to San Francisco oh, in wow. the 90s. So my impressions of San Francisco were like intermingled with the show. Um, and it kind of represented what San Francisco was then. <laughs> it's changing a little bit now, but this sort of sense of the possibility of community and family and it, it felt like that, you know, the, the books and the, the TV show felt like that and the city felt like that. And, you know, that was not the general experience of, of queer people at that mm -hmm. time. So to have a show that was showing that and like speaking to the possibility of that was really kind of groundbreaking yeah. and beautiful and, you know, made you feel hopeful. Yeah, yeah. And so what was it like approaching this work in a more contemporary moment? You know, you mentioned that it was groundbreaking to even imagine queer people living in a space like that, especially as the AIDS epidemic was still raging. Yeah. We're in a different place today, but there's still issues we're facing. So how was that different to approach the work today? God, um, it's so funny because, you know, we, we live in kind of a cyclical world and the same thing come back and back around, same issues. Um, so I feel like a lot of the same mm -hmm. principles and... Uh, words that Armistead gives through these stories, if not just the stories themselves, can still provide that solace or comfort for a lot of the community, um, myself included. Um, I, I, how it's different is so based on San Francisco, I almost want to say. Um, and so much is different. Yeah. <laughs> what was it like being in San Francisco doing the show? Because I think I read tweets where, you know, the, the neighborhood folks would come out and watch you all do the series because they were so excited to see it be renewed again. But it is a very different place than before. So what was it like to kind of navigate this new San Francisco and, but connect it to its history? Well, different or not, San Francisco is still incredible, <laughs> you know, to be said. Um, I, I'm, I'm happy to see its growth. Uh, some of it I'm not... In love with. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Obviously, such a challenge for the. Uh, it can be such a challenge for the LGBTQ community. You know, you look at the criminalization of homelessness yeah. um, and how much homelessness there now is in San Francisco because obviously it's become a city for, you know, multi, multi, multi you know, um, and so uh, yeah. So I guess in for many of the marginalized community, um, it's a very difficult place to mm -hmm. to live. You know what's so beautiful and I think so important about a story like this and where Armistead's coming from in the beginning is that San Francisco is this resilient city mm -hmm. and that it it has become a, a safe haven for a, a certain group of minorities, you know what I mean? And through that, it builds a kind of community, courageousness, fight, drive, desire for some change and need. And as sucky as it is to say, like, you know, they're, they're going through a, a, a transition point, maybe, <laughs> through, like, financial and, and just the community services. But I, I'm excited to see how a community like that does rise through it. And yeah. they always do. Yeah, yeah. So. And speaking of community, I feel as if the cast and the team behind this film was its own community. And it was mostly queer people in that community. What was it like to have that on set every day? It was it was uh, amazing, and it was a real sort of um, mission for the the you know, people putting the show together to create this very kind of diverse group of people in the cast and the crew, and it was fantastic because it 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 gave us sort of. Um, uh, it gave us all a kind of a common intention and there was like a, a real sort of uh, enthusiasm to be there because of that, because it, it was, yeah, it was, I mean, it's interesting um, that the, the show seems to uh, uh, 
create the this beautiful kind of vibe that the show has seems to kind of spill out into the world and it, that, that's what happened for me anyway in this yeah. show is that the show is about community and family and it felt very much like that for me you know everyone working on it was had their, a personal investment because they were kind of they are part of that community mm -hmm. so it was it was a really wonderful thing plus you know having a completely queer writers room meant that the stories that were were being told were coming from an authentic place, which was, you know, is very important and, um, you know, really uh, lifts the show. Yeah. And speaking of authenticity, what I found amazing about the show is that the racial dynamic that comes out in this new series is way more representative of San Francisco itself. There are lots of people of color represented there. Charlie, what was it like approaching this role being one of the first main characters to be a person of color? Look, I, I, that being said, and I, I appreciate it being incorporated, I think there's still a lot further to go. Mm -hmm. um, I, uh, I, I appreciate it so much. I'm, I'm of mixed descent, um, and so that is a, plays a big part in my racial identity. Mm -hmm. And I think in representation, you see a lot of mixed people. You don't see a lot of the Dark Brothers, you know what I'm saying? I, same thing. <laughs> you know? A lot of us. Um, so I'm trying, I'm, I'm hopefully encouraging more and more of that dialogue to come and more of those parts to be seen. Mm. Um, but I'm, I'm honored and, and excited and thrilled to be a part of the community and, and representation. Um, you know, it's, it's needed. <laughs> so continue. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of other types of representation, where your character takes us through a really interesting conversation around HIV. Yeah. What was it like <clears throat> approaching that? Because it felt as if you all were able to use this platform to teach people a lot of things about where HIV is now. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh it's it's an interesting story to tell at this point because there's a lot more freedoms sexually for gay men, particularly, um, well, in, in general around HIV. Uh, and But for my character, who's of a generation who went through the AIDS epidemic, there's a lot of baggage from that time and a lot of trauma. So coming to this kind of new, you know, sort of sexual freedom, I guess you could call it, and, and different attitude, a, a, a new generation that has different attitudes around sex and around safe sex is really challenging because there's a lot of fear and, you know, fear that's sort of drummed into you through those decades that is really hard to let go of. But it's a beautiful story to tell because we left a lot of that behind, you know? And so it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a, you know, a wonderful time and, and great to be able to tell that story, but also it's complicated, mm -hmm. particularly for people of my generation. And that's what our characters kind of navigate through that, yeah. of Charlie's character being of a younger generation and being like, hey, you know, yeah. not coming to those conversations and those... Um, the fears too that haven't been kind of instilled in the same way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I... I I know as a, as a gay man, like in terms of safe sex, I was the things were drummed into me, and it's very difficult to let mm -hmm. that go. You have like, you have just this kind of primal kind of yeah. fear <laughs> that's instilled in you, and it's it's uh, it's tricky, sort of yeah. being able to kind of move move past that. Mm -hmm. And so much of the show I found uh, was exploring the tensions between a younger generation and a new generation and was having really hard conversations about those. So you're, you're a couple, uh, you as a couple were having that intimately. But Ellen, your character was very, you know, represented this new generation of young people who have a much more expansive way of thinking about their lives. Mm. Um, but you also as an actress have been so open about your own politic. So tell me about what moved you to be more open about talking, talking about politics and how that influenced the role here. Just in general. Yeah, in general. And like, yeah. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel like uh, the reality is, is so many members of the community are being so attacked right now, mm -hmm. particularly the trans community, to a degree that is extremely horrific yeah. and cruel and about life or death. Mm -hmm. And that's the reality. And it is life and death for so many in terms of the rates of suicide, yes. the rates of homelessness, and the epidemic of trans women of color being yeah. murdered. Violence, yeah. And this continues to be, you know, perpetuated by people in power. Yes. And this is not something just in the United States. I've seen it all around the world yeah. making the show Gaycation. Yeah. Um, so those are the reasons. And I have um, uh, so much privilege and this platform, and I absolutely need to use it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, um, and this show, um, I really think, will make so many people feel less alone. Yes. And, um, and then also, I'm just grateful to be a part of it because I get to work with actors like this who, you know, bring me to tears even in read-throughs. Yeah. So, uh, Vice versa. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I mean, you moved me to tears watching it. You know, I told you before the show, I sat down to begin reviewing the season before we talked, and I just couldn't stop watching. And I think as a queer person of color, it was just incredible to see people that look like me and people that look like my friends. So thank all of you for doing that work every day. Thank you. And I think everyone should get excited to see Tales of the City. So thank you for joining us today, and I hope you guys come back. Yeah. Thank, thank you for you. having thank us. Yeah, thanks so, so much. Of course. So Tales of the City premieres on June 7th, which is Friday. Up next, Alex sits down with, the all, with all eight National Spelling Bee champs. You all should quiz them if you want. Oh, <laughs> yeah, they're so cool. You did me. Twenty rounds and a lot of prize money later, this year's Scripps National Spelling Bee made history when eight contestants, eight, were crowned champions. And now they are here as part of their victory tour. Thank you all so much for joining me. Well, normally I would start off by introducing each of you, but I really want to hear from all of you. So we're going to start off. Can you introduce yourself and also say the word that you spelled to win? My name is Soham Sukhjankar. I'm from Dallas, Texas, and I spelled Pondalok to win. Hi, I'm Rishik Gandhasri. I'm from San Jose, California, and the word I spelled correctly to win was Auslaut. Um, hi, my name is Saket Sundar. I'm from Clarksville, Maryland, and the word I spelled correctly to win was Bougainvillea. Hi, my name is Shatika Petty, and the word I spelled was Aigolette. Hi, I'm Abhij Kadali, and the word... I'm from um, Dallas, Texas. The word I spelled correctly was Palama. Hi, I'm Christopher Sorrell. Um, I'm from White House Station, New Jersey, and the word I spelled correctly to win was um, Cernuous. Hi, I'm Rohan Raja. I'm from Dallas, Texas, and the word I spelled correctly to win was Odilic. Hi, I'm Aaron Howard. I'm from Huntsville in Alabama, and the word I spelled correctly to win was Erisipolis. Well, I am seriously in awe of all of you because I haven't even heard some of those words before. So it's really amazing that you were able to spell them under such a high pressure situation. But one of the things that I saw a lot of people talking about was how you broke the B by having eight champions. So Soham, how did it feel to share this victory with everyone? Uh, I was really happy uh, for all of us because, you know, as finalists in the National Spelling Bee, you know how hard everyone else has worked. It just felt really great to see everyone's hard work paying off and the joy in their faces. Erin, what did you think? 
Um, yeah, it was just an honor for, for me to be here. And, and I never expected to win. And I definitely didn't expect for eight of us to win <laughs> because I think we're all very good spellers. And it's just an honor to compete with all of them. Absolutely. Well, you mentioned that you all are very good spellers. And so I wouldn't dare try to challenge you to a spelling competition because I'm a pretty awful speller myself. So we wanted to take this opportunity to split you up into two teams, one on each side of the couch, and quiz you about a topic you might not know that much about, the 90s. Okay, so are you ready? So I'm going to ask you a question and we're gonna time you, and then you can either just yell it out, raise your hand if you think you know, and whichever team gets the most points wins. Can we discuss it with our team? Yeah, you can. However, <laughs> there is a slight time limit. Okay? okay? You can absolutely randomly okay. guess. Just holler out, okay? Are you all ready? Wait, is it multiple choice? It is not multiple choice. I do have to say, I appreciate your discerning questions about how this game is gonna go. Okay, so ready for the first one? Please name all of the Spice Girls. Wait, is it Snoop Dogg one? No, 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 no. Raise your hand if you got it. You got it? Okay, let's hear it. Okay. Ginger, Posh, Baby, Cinnamon, <laughs> I am sorry. Okay. Unfortunately, Cinnamon Spice is not a Spice Girl, but I wish that she were. Can you counter that? I got it. Turmeric, coriander, paprika. <laughs> <laughs> I love the creativity here. Okay. Those are not the Spice Girls, but fortunately, we have many questions so you can redeem yourselves. The next question is, what is a cassette tape? Oh, oh, yes. It's basically, you put it in a DVR. It has um, anything you want recorded on it. <laughs> and it's a tape. That is not... Unfortunately, you do not put a cassette tape in a DVR. Oh. Would you that was close enough. And answer yourself. DC, um, so a cassette tape is like this rectangular thing in which um, tape rolls, and then you put it in this videotape cassette. <laughs> I will give it. Okay, I was. I would have given you the point for that, but uh, behind the scenes, they've decided that we can't award a point. It, you put it in a VCR. You play it. It could be music as well. Many different kinds of cassette tapes. Next question. <laughs> What is MySpace? Uh, oh, I think I saw some hands it's over like here. Facebook. It's like Facebook? Yeah. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah that's good. That worked, yeah. that worked for us. Okay, next question. Who was the star of the Amanda show? Yes, got a hand. Oh, Amanda. <laughs> it, was, it was Amanda. It was Amanda Bynes to be specific, but that shall pass. We'll give you the point there. Okay, next question. I know what is a Tamagotchi? Oh. I think I saw a hand over here first. Yes. All right. What it's is this little pet on a screen. There was like three buttons and it's like very pixelated. It was. Yes. Yeah. That is it. That counts. Yeah. Okay. Bonus question. Can you spell Tamagotchi? Yes. 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 T-A-M-A-G-O-T-C-H-I. Correct. Okay. You also get a point. Okay. Next question. What is Blockbuster? Hmm. It is a film store where you rent movies. Correct. Okay. It is. Your dad worked there. Okay. So we got a personal story, personal connection to Blockbuster. Next question is, what is Ask Jeeves? Uh, a talk, talk show. show? No. Uh, ask Jeeves. Um, thing where you ask someone named Jeeves. Oh, it's like a... That actually... Okay. It is slightly like that. It like was essentially column? like the Google oh. of its time. Oh. So, yeah. Right. So, unfortunately, we're not going to give that to you. Okay. Next question... 
little bit like the question earlier, what is the difference between a VHS, a CD, and a DVD? Explain the difference. Yes. Okay, so I feel like a VHS is a tape, a CD is, you know, a disc, and a DVD has video. But yes, yes, absolutely. And then we have one final question left for you. What is a Furby? Yes. All right. So a Furby is kind of like a pet. It's there's electronics inside and then there's like a fur covering and it does stuff. Yes, that's right. Well, we have to crown a winner. Soham, your team won. Congratulations. I hope we can have you back sometime for a rematch of our 90s questions. But seriously, y'all are the most incredible winners. Congratulations again for your awesome victory at the Spelling Bee. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, up next, we're reading your tweets. So we'll be right back. Thanks y'all for joining me. You did so awesome at that game. Welcome back. What a fun show Woo. we had today. I love you with the kids. Oh my gosh. They, they, were, they were amazing. They're amazing. They were they're amazing. also like the biggest stars of the world right now. They are. When Ellen, Charlie, and Marina were getting off, we were like rushing off. <laughs> be like, hi kids. So what's going on? And they were like, hey, Ellen Page, whatever. Like, come on. We just won the spelling bee. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, we ask your thoughts on the Kianasans. Like, bless whoever, bless whoever wrote that. Wow. Prompter. I love it. And Rachel Hey Girlfield, you tweeted, I love that in Always Be My Maybe, he wore glasses frames without glasses like Chris Hemsworth did in Ghostbusters. You mentioned this earlier. What is up with y'all loving men that don't do enough? Okay. <laughs> Give mean, them real glasses. Do I mean, more. People go to therapy for loving men. <laughs> that, you know, oh God. Like, okay, don't do enough, too close so, to home. Like, Let's okay, go into okay, the okay, next one. <laughs> Shelly J tweeted this after our discussion about the end of iTunes. Thanks, AMTDM, for making me relive the terror of getting home from school and finding that my parents had restarted the family computer and therefore totally ruined my LimeWire downloads. I know this. I think my sister may be watching. I think, shit, I went through this a lot. Or your computer would just crash or something and everything was gone. And that's it. You're like, all of your (sighs) hard work, pirating music is gone. Oh, God. Anyway. Well, we asked the most embarrassing song in your iTunes library. And uh, according to our very own Rebecca Bisdale, hers is that U2 album I still can't figure out how to delete. That's the one they made you download. Like it was oh, in your phone. It was like yeah. this really macro troll. Yeah, that was not cute. I'll say Apple Music like in your relaunch. Please don't do that. Yeah, don't that. do that. Like, we want consent with our music. Yes, please. <laughs> well, thank you to our guests today. Hannah, Al Offman, Robert McCartney, Madeline Brewer, Amanda Bruegel, Ellen Page, Charlie Barnett, Murray Bartlett, and of course, yes. the Scribs National Spelling Bee Octachamps. Yes, and we'll be back here tomorrow at 10 a.m. Have a great rest of your day. Bye, y'all. They were the the.